I'm Doug Keck, and welcome once again to EWTN's Bookmark. Our good friend and author, Father Brian Milady, OPSTD, two books, The Roots of Christian Civilization and A Primer on Fundamental Moral Theology, both proudly published by EWTN Publishing, both available through our EWTN Religious Catalog. EWTNRC.com for all things Catholic. Always great to see you, nice to Father. See you. And, uh, you know, you've been uh, involved with the network uh, for 20 plus years now, mm -hmm. right? What was the first time, what series you did and how long ago was that? Actually? Oh gosh, I think it was the Apostles Creed and it was done in 1990, right, or exactly. And of course I first met mother in 78. Oh really? Where did you meet her the first Here. time? Here. Was it? When this was a slab of concrete in the okay. ground. Yeah. So, so you've seen it all. You've also been a major part of our, our heavy hitters lineup on open line, right? And enjoy doing it, yes. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. yeah. what, what, what do you find different about between doing radio, television, and even writing a book? Well, I think radio is more spontaneous. Mm -hmm. And uh, people can listen to the radio, too, when they're in their cars. Television, as you know, you sometimes have to make two or three takes. And uh, Rush Limbaugh used to say that. The radio was much more spontaneous. He right. much preferred that. And the book is a good thing for people who want to read more or to want to think about the ideas more mm -hmm. because you have, actually have it down so you can study it. Right. As a writer, do, do you tend to write first and then you would teach your classes or did you develop your course material over a period of time and then quantify it into a book? Well, in my case, I developed my course materials. And it's not uncommon for professors to publish their notes, mm -hmm. more or less. So for the most part, that's what I did when it came to the books. Now, this is the book here is The Roots of a Christian Civilization, First Principles of a Just and Ordered Society. Now, this is an updated version of a book you did several years ago? Yeah, it's a, it's a republication, mm -hmm. that one, yeah. And, and the original book came out in, I think it was about 2012 or somewhere around here. Mm -hmm. Now, the book itself, so you talk about the, the roots of a Christian civilization, and in here you, you talk about the idea of the question of society's nature has great importance for morals. Should law implement morality or not? Things like abortion, euthanasia, gay marriage, and socialized medicine are rampant today and more and more receive the blessing of civil law, even in countries traditionally considered to be Catholic. Now, the question is, what is the church's role in dealing with society and its imprint on society? Well, as you know, the church isn't political. Mm -hmm. Uh, though at times in the past it's uh, taken a political uh, role, mm -hmm. it's not really political. Mostly when it's taken a political role, it's for example, after the fall of the Roman Empire, when it had more of a structure mm -hmm. and, and the clergy were more educated than the laity were, in which they directed societies and mm -hmm. things like that. So the church's basic function is to try to explain to Christians mm -hmm. who make up society and Christian societies what it is that Christ's gospel demands of us and that is based primarily on the interpretation of the natural law from the Greeks, at mm -hmm. least in Catholicism's case, and also to criticize when they think that the laws are unjust and of course the implication would be unjust laws lead your society to chaos. Mm -hmm. It reminds me of the Lion and the Man for All Seasons, where Cardinal Wolsey asked Thomas More how he can possibly dissent concerning the, queen, the king's divorce. 
And he says, well, I think you're wrong to seek the divorce. And he says, so you'd like to govern the country with conscience, huh? And he said, yes. And he said, um, the cardinal says, um, uh, how do you have a right to have your private conscience over the needs of the state? Mm -hmm. And his response is when statesmen forsake their private conscience for the sake of their public duty, mm -hmm. they lead their country on a short route to chaos. Mm -hmm. Of course, that was written by the play, author's play, but it does very much reflect, I think, the attitude of the church toward the state. Now, as we know, we have had a political role in the papal states, right. but that was mostly to preserve the free and autonomy of the Holy See from any kind of political influence. And the, the Vatican City solution is as good a one as any. Mm -hmm. So in dealing here and kind of focused to some degree on, on, on us living here in the United States, you talk about in this book, I undertake to give a new compendium of Catholic teachings concerning society, and you say you take a systematic approach. Now, is this basically better understanding social justice? Is that what we're talking about, or is it broader than that? It would be broader than that because it would include how these things are implemented. So for example, in the 10 principles of the social order, mm -hmm. the, big, the big line is the common good. So what involves the common good? Well, some people in totalitarian states would say it's the means, not the end, that's the important thing. Mm -hmm. Other people would say, well, it's the end, but the means don't matter which is what we have a tendency to do, I think, today. Kind of, kind of the Alinsky approach we were looking yeah. at today. But um, both have to be good mm -hmm. in order for uh, something to truly be socially helpful to society in general. And that would be whether you're dealing with the family, the state, or the church in the final analysis, because the church does have a human um, face to it. Although the church is not, strictly speaking, a natural society, it's a supernatural society based on hierarchy of order. But when it comes to the family or the, the state, the lines are delineated as to who should exercise authority mm -hmm. and how, and also what their purpose is. And it's very well set out in some of the laws of the Old Testament concerning the family too. Now, in talking about today with social justice, sometimes people get concerned because they hear social justice all the time, and it's like, you feel like, is it really social justice anymore, or are we dealing in a world of social mercy? Because there always seems to, where that there's no justice associated, or what kind of justice is there in social justice? Well, social justice would be the ability to make laws which reflect the way human nature should be developed in society. But when you don't believe there's an objective human nature, mm -hmm. it's very hard to have any kind of social justice at all because you can't agree on what it is for your final purposes mm -hmm. in life. And uh, so you give rise to all kinds of these strange rules. Um, I was appalled to find out that there's a state in the United States where it's before the legislature now that if um, a parent disagrees with their child's stated mm -hmm. sexual orientation when they're six years old, they can just take your child away and raise it, uh, you know, in care. Mm. Uh, no, I'm sorry, you can't do that. The parents have primordial rights mm -hmm. that come to them from childbearing. 
but they would refuse to recognize that because there are no real primordial rights. Everything's based on the freedom of conscience, and conscience for them means more feelings than it does right. intelligent. Now, when you thinking. talk about that, you talked about earlier about the natural law. As is it as we backed away from the natural law and focused more on positivism that we're having these problems? Oh yeah, well there is no natural law. Mm -hmm. um, people interpret natural law today as a result of white male supremacy from Europe instead of the fact that there's a common human nature that we all share and it, the various attempts to define that are what we our participation it comes from God. God is actually the primary author of all law and our attempts to participate in that are what make us perfect. So <laughs> there is a, a role to play in right. society and justice of course is a virtue that has to do with society. You can't have justice just towards mm -hmm. yourself. You have to have someone to whom to be just. Now, uh, is there a difference with the way that the church defi would define quote unquote social justice versus a secular understanding of that? Well, only in the sense that after the Enlightenment, secular ideas have tended to become uh, anti-objective, everything's subjective. And that was primarily the contribution of Kant uh, in the late part of the 18th century that sort of eventually made its way through uh, Christian societies like Europe's understanding of what the truth is. And I think probably the First World War was the place where it was most implemented. Mm -hmm. For the first part, there was no idea of really any restraints in warfare. Millions of people were killed. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, it's also, since the French Revolution influenced the idea of the family, because the French Revolution was where Malthusianism, or birth control, first became uh, a norm of society. I didn't realize that. Now, the idea of the church's involvement is, is part of the issue that we're seeing today, and sometimes it seems to be that where the church, instead of impacting the culture and the society around it, is being impacted more itself. Well, you don't want a theocracy. You mm -hmm. don't want the priests and bishops running the place, because it isn't our role to do that. But you want to encourage politicians, whether they're Catholic or not, or Christian or not, to realize that there's a subjective nature. Mm -hmm. And we're not impacting the culture, for the most part, any more than anybody else is, apart from these people's subjective feelings mm -hmm. that they just, uh, well, I feel like I've been, my, I've been treated shamefully or my ethnic group's been treated shamefully, and therefore anything goes when it comes to correcting that. Mm -hmm. Well, you can't be one injustice with another injustice, or one falsity with another falsity. But in a sense we are with certain things where we're trying to make up for past sins in the culture. Right, right. right. And um, part of that though is a, it was a considered attempt there was one very influential person who maintained in a talk he gave in Germany in the 19, 2015, that he was gonna destroy the United States and he was gonna use racism to do it. Because mm -hmm. he knew that was a problem here in this country. But, um, so in other words, it's not just something that spontaneously grew right. from the grassroots. Right. And uh, some people are just appalled at the um, 
and not just one race or another race, because mm -hmm. when you uh, try to do this with one, it mm -hmm. always affects the other, too. Um, that the manner in which it's taken where there doesn't seem right. to be any truth or any um, equity. Right. Are you surprised in some ways in dealing with uh, the Marxist kind of uh, coming back up? And, and in some degree it's a carryover from the 60s in a sense of, you know, socialism kind of has that kind of social justice you know, expanded version, which is really the natural way of a Christian to live, because after all, didn't the early church live in community and share goods? Well, the sharing of goods of the early community was based on the idea of getting rid of one's egotism mm -hmm. in order to realize himself as a person and as a soul. Uh, Marx denies any personality to anyone at all. We're all just sort of great cogs in the wheel of developing matter. And um, he basically said it, when the end of the uh, development of matter is reached, mm -hmm. then it will be uh, everyone, there, you know, the, if you want to put it that way, uh, identifying figure is just matter. Mm -hmm. We're just all the slave of matter. Now that, in other words, of materialism. Mm -hmm. And so that should bring us uh, peace, according to him. But you know, he was a very strange person. He right. um, didn't particularly follow his ideas through to their logical conclusion all the time. Right, and they, usually most of these people didn't live them out either. Uh, no. uh, the Roots of Christian Civilization. We also have another book that you Right. earlier in the, in the year, uh, Primer on Fundamental Moral Theology. Now, was this based on one of your series, or is this an original book? I would say both, mm -hmm. and it was also based on my notes as a moral theology professor. Um, the big problem, of course, is relativism. Mm -hmm. In moral theology, this took effect in Catholicism in what was called consequentialism in the 70s. Mm -hmm. And it was the idea that there were two systems of ethics. Um, there were a lot of people who wanted to change the church's teaching on birth control, right. and the papacy wouldn't do that. So what they basically, a lot of people, not everybody, some people just said the Pope's wrong and they should forget it. Others said, well, as a universal idea, the value contained in the Pope's teaching is correct. Mm -hmm. But it has to be implemented in the individual conscience, and it has to be implemented in the individual conscience using discernment of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And the Holy Spirit can lead you to discern contrary to what the letter of the universal law is, because no universal can ever completely express all particular instances. So the law says I shouldn't practice birth control, but in my case, mm -hmm. because of the life-affirming nature of what I want to do, mm -hmm. it might be indicated. So it was that I was trying to argue against. But I've discovered also, because I've been teaching some classes in the parish recently, that even well-educated laymen, mm -hmm. uh, I gave a talk on three moral determinants. What are those? Mm -hmm. I said, well, they're in the catechism. Mm -hmm. They're the basis of our moral teaching, object of and circumstances. Oh, gee, I never heard of those. Mm -hmm. So they didn't even know what my talk was about, mm -hmm. basically. 
So we need to have a resurrection of at least general ideas concerning what our teaching of morals is founded on. Because it's one of the reasons nobody lives them because they don't understand yeah, them. what they are, right. Well, you talk about the, the fact that with everything that came out of the 60s and you talk about Rahner and kind of the overall malaise, obviously Veritatis Splendor was put out by the, uh, by the then Holy Father. In fact, that used to be our expression here at EWTN, uh, the splendor of truth. Uh, and the idea of going forward with that, but it, more and more it seems like that concept is under attack again, not only in society, but inside the church. You talk about the other thing of uh, proportionalism out there. Right. Well, proportionalism really is consequentialism. Right, right. They all go by different names, but they're more or less the same, except for fundamental option. That's mm -hmm. a different problem. But. Um, which I think you mentioned Monsignor Smith's yes, name in this book, he, with he a great explanation, explanation of it. Right, right, yes, right. yes. But um, yeah, the problem is Splendor of Truth was an excellent encyclical, mm -hmm. but it wasn't issued till 1993 or something, mm -hmm. which meant that this teaching reigned supreme for 25 years in all Catholic faculties of morals, and then uh, now it seems. All these people have repudiated theology of the body, repudiated John Paul II, and a lot of the teachers of moral theology are trying to return, because mm -hmm. they're, they're pretty elderly now, mm -hmm. to what was taught in the 70s. And I first experienced when I went to teach in a Catholic high school. And it basically is relativism. Mm -hmm. That's the way it is. They don't want to say it's relativism, and they don't want situation ethics to be absolutely true, but they're willing to put enough of a chink in the armor so that you can do more or less what you want if you can find a good reason. Mm -hmm. Do they ever look at that in your experience and see maybe that the results haven't been so positive? Well, I, I would think so, but apparently not. Mm -hmm. uh, it seems like the more you do it, the better it is. Right. Some. It's like I once had a priest in my province describe the post-Vatican II attitude toward truth as the more things fail, the better it is, mm -hmm. and you should just keep doing the failing thing, and eventually it'll turn out to be a success. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's why you hear the expression all the time, my truth these My days. truth, exactly. And if that's true in your story of your life, for those people, they also mean regarding what's good and what's evil. Mm -hmm. My truth is determined by what I want. It's the self-appointed egotistical judge of the whole world, including God. Well, God doesn't mean anything to me, so why should I go worship him? And, if, and if, even if he does, he'll understand, doesn't he? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, C.S. Lewis wrote a book called God in the Dock. Mm -hmm. And remember, the dock in an English courtroom is the place where the right. accused stands. Right. So his idea was that today, God is the accused. Justify yourself to me. Mm -hmm. And Bishop Sheen talked a lot about that, too, that today people want God to justify believing in him to them mm -hmm. and their system of values. And they don't have any interest in what the objective nature. A lot of people don't think in terms of um, realities that go beyond the present moment. Mm -hmm. 
That's especially true in family life, right. which is sad. Right. You say the real difficulty in moral theology has always been to preserve a healthy respect for the law, the quote-unquote servant aspect, because you talk about servant and free, while also encouraging the interior formation in love with the truth of the law seeks to inculcate in human life that aspect of freedom. Modern moralists have tried to play one off against the other. Right. That's the problem. Well, yeah. Well, there is a subjective nature to morals, which is how you approach it. Um, and that's based on your will and your, and your passions. So uh, no one wants an automaton that just does something just because they're told to do it. They want to embrace it freely. But regarding what you embrace, that's mm -hmm. true by the intellect, and there's no argument about that once it's set mm -hmm. in stone. You make a point here about the conscience, because I, I jumped to that, that because it's what we hear about all the day, my freedom of conscience, supremacy of my conscience. The fact that one is excused from moral responsibility and invincibly erroneous conscience does not mean that the action which results from this is good. Objective sin remains objective sin. That's right. a great point. The thing is, you may not be responsible for it. Responsibility right. is determined by the will. Right. But that doesn't make it a good thing or a virtuous thing. It just means that you're not, in your soul, you're not guilty of a sin because you don't have freedom in that particular right. action. Right. Is that part of the problem in society? Rather than understanding that what you did is wrong, but maybe there's, there's reasons why you can justify or make it less onus. Uh, but instead what we do is we say, well, the law doesn't count. It really wasn't a sin in your case at, at all, or what you did was okay because of all this debilitating Well, it's not situation. okay because that's an error of your life that you've removed from morality, right. and you don't want to do that. You want the whole person to be involved in everything good, to make right. an integrated, happy person. Right. So to say that you're not responsible, well, okay, you're not. You're not going to hell because you did this. But on the other hand, it's not an action that gets right. you to heaven either. Well, you see that a lot, I think, today in some of uh, criminality <clears throat> and things that happen where oh, yeah. the first thing you hear right about is, you know, uh, everybody's poor childhood situation, which is all very, very true, but it doesn't take away from the intrinsically, let's say, evil or illegal act that person committed. Right. Well, remember, criminal law is different than the moral order mm -hmm. uh, in the sense that it doesn't judge your interior life. Well, it's not supposed to. <laughs> no, it's not supposed to. Only the church uh, can do that, and confession. But it can judge your external actions. Right. And if your external actions are deemed to be so destructive of society, then they can incarcerate you for that. But again, uh, where was I reading about San Francisco? Uh, someone lost $15,000 in camera equipment from a car, mm -hmm. and they called 911 twice, and they just hung up on yeah. them. Yeah. Was, I think it was actually a reporter for ABC News. Yes, I think they it was They had gone a in reporter. to do an interview about what was going on in San Francisco, and they came out there had right, been broken exactly. into. Exactly. Yeah, because they don't they don't respond to mm -hmm. car break-ins, and they can't figure out why they get more of them. You also make the point here in, in the conscience: it does not excuse a person from the obligation who's got an you know inflow to inform themselves and resolve their perplexity. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, that's a perplexed conscience, which right, is where okay. you're not sure what to do. Right. You have an obligation. 
because you can't act with a perplexed conscience. You have an obligation to try to resolve your perplexity as much as possible. And that can be by consulting other people, that can be by reading, that can be by discussion. Um, but you mm -hmm. still have an obligation to try to resolve it before you act. Do you think sometimes people per, uh, on purpose basically will ignore, not want to find out what's actually right or okay, wrong well, in a situation? Okay, well then they're responsible for whatever they did. Yeah. And they say, well, I wasn't aware of this, but they made no effort to try to figure well, it out. Well, and that's the question of the invincibly right. or invincibly or ignorant, ignorant conscience. Invincibly ignorant conscience is something you can conquer right. by your own actions. Right. Yeah. Well, I heard a great story one time. It was Monsignor Smith who told the story about the Pope talking to a bishop who was talking about invincible ignorance with the people in his diocese. And the Pope said, it's true that they won't be held as accountable, but the bishops and those who are responsible for teaching them will totally be held responsible. Right. No, that's true. We have an obligation to help inform the conscience. Right. And if the Catholic schools who have an obligation to, or the priests or the religious don't inform the conscience correctly, mm -hmm. they're held more responsible for the error than the laity that do it. And that's why we have to be very careful what we teach people. Mm -hmm. But in fact, many Catholic schools, they, didn't, they abet the error. Right. And uh, it just isn't good. Right, absolutely. But we appreciate you stopping by and making these books available. The Primer on Fundamental Moral Theology and the Roots of Christian Civilization, First Principles of a Just and Ordered Society by our good friend and open line host, Father Brian Thomas Beckett Malady, OPSTD, an important name. And it's an important uh, impact on Father's life and great teachings. It's available through our religious catalog. I'm Doug Keck. This has been Bookmark. We'll see you next time. Thanks.